Hello, and welcome to the Peak Prosperity Podcast. I'm Adam Taggart. I'll be your host today. I'm the co-founder of Peak Prosperity, along with my partner, Chris Martinson. We've been covering the coronavirus now for a little over a month since it initially uh, burst into the scene um, in Wuhan, China. Um, many of you listening have probably heard the daily video updates that Chris has been giving online. I'm uh, filling in Chris's shoes today because he is working on uh, the next video that we'll be getting live early tomorrow. With me here is James Wesley Rawls. Uh, Jim is a former U.S. Army intelligence officer, and he's the proprietor of survivalblog.com, which is a comprehensive online resource and community for folks interested in preparing for nearly any kind of disaster or emergency. Jim's also the author of several books, including the Patriot novel series and the book Rawls on Retreats and Relocation, which, while now out of print, is an exhaustive survey of which regions in the U.S. are best and worst suited for writing out various different forms of crises. So given Jim's extensive expertise in survival and disaster preparation, we've asked him to come on the podcast today to help us address the top question that Chris and I are hearing from, well, everybody right now. And that is, what do I need to do to keep myself and my family safe from the coronavirus? Jim, thanks so much for being willing to join us on such short notice. Thanks for having me on, Adam. What is your assessment of the coronavirus outbreak and um, and what what are you talking with your community about it? How, how it? Short story, how seriously should we be taking this from your perspective? I think we should take it very seriously, but presently more from the potential economic fallout rather than uh, the uh, public health crisis, although that I think will probably be upon us within weeks. Uh, it's pretty clear that this virus is transmissible before people are showing visible symptoms. And there's even talk that it might even be transmissible from people who don't even realize they're carrying it. Right. So odds are it's going to end up being literally global. It'll be a true global pandemic. And although it's likely to subside a bit in spring and summer, I think it'll come back with a vengeance in the northern hemisphere uh, this coming fall and winter. And um, while we're experiencing summer, the southern hemisphere, of course, is going to be in winter. They'll have their cold and flu season. And I think the southern hemisphere may actually bear the brunt of this starting in two or three months. Okay. Well, that comports very closely to what Chris and I have been looking at. Um, If you look at the data right now, uh, it's 95 plus percent of cases uh, have been in the northern hemisphere um, and, and very few so far have been in the southern hemisphere. And part of that might be due to to underreporting and, and uh, a lot of countries there, developing countries that maybe aren't doing a good job of testing. But um, I, I think it's hard not to conclude that there is a big a seasonality factor to it, that the, the virus just prefers colder weather, colder, drier weather. Um, and like previous um, epidemics and pandemics, um, they they do last for um, you know months and sometimes years and and, and during that period um, they're evolving into um, you know another they're mutating into another phase uh, so these viruses come in waves um, I, I believe in the Spanish influenza of 1918 1919 it was the second wave that was actually the really virulent one so um, as you just said that that could easily happen where uh, the virus might subside a bit um, as the northern hemisphere begins to go into spring and summer but it heads into the southern hemisphere, infects a bunch of people, continues to evolve. And then, as you said, it can jump the equator again. 
uh, as we go back into wintertime. And, uh, and who knows, that could be a strain that we're just completely unprepared for. You know, not, not trying to scare people, but just, just saying that it, it certainly has happened before. Right. And I, I think uh, your listeners should be made aware the general tendency of viruses is to mutate into less uh, virulent and less deadly, less deadly strains. That's the general trend, uh, simply because if, if a virus is too virulent, it kills off its hosts too quickly and doesn't have a chance to propagate. Um, but in the case of the Spanish flu of 1918, I think that's a really good example you brought up. Uh, in, the, in the first wave, it was killing a lot of older people. In the second wave, it was killing a lot of younger people. Um, in, in that instance, what happened was um, they had what's called a cytokine storm response where their body's own immune systems overreacted to the virus. And there's been a lot of talk in the comment section of my blog about uh, being prepared for this and a lot of people were saying, oh, you really need to go real heavy on uh, colloidal silver and you need to have uh, elderberry extract on hand. And there's some folks there who are very quick to point out, hang on a second, folks. You don't want to artificially raise your immune response until we wait and see if there's the risk of a cytokine storm. Right. Right. And uh, just to sort of explain a little bit in more layman's terms, um, the reason why the uh, the Spanish flu uh, in that second wave, uh, it was the, the younger people or the people in the prime of their lives who were hit harder is essentially, you know, sort of, as you were saying, the virus turns your immune system against you in many ways. And so it was the people with the stronger immune systems who, who suffered the most in that second wave. So, um, Jim, I, we could talk about the science all day long, and I, I would love to. And, and as, as Jermaine here, let's continue to do so. But Chris is doing that on a, on a daily basis sure. on our yeah, side. Let's, I, I let's to get practical you. prepping. Well, exactly. That's what I wanted to get you on here because I think people are really hungry for for some you know additional guidance on that part, which is okay. You know, I'll believe what you tell me on the science. Just tell me what I need to do, right? So, um, as I as I think about it, and you correct me if this framework's incorrect. Um, you sort of approach this as a three-pronged strategy. Um, first, it's, look, um, don't come into contact with the virus if you can, right? The, the, the best way not to get infected by it is just to not come near it, right? So that's where self-isolation, social distancing, that type of stuff comes into play. Um, the second is, okay, if I, if I get near it, don't get it on me or in me, right? And this is where we talk about, um, you know, uh, masks and gloves and and uh you know dressing gowns and other things to yeah. sterilizers and uh, uh you know hand sanitizers and stuff like that and then the third is okay if it gets in me i want to increase my odds of beating it and um you know in general you would say this is where i want to have a strong immune system right so that it, uh, you know if the virus comes in i can uh, you know my, my immune system can rush to the defense and either you know kill it before it, it goes systemic, or at least if I get it, uh, I, I get a mild case versus a harder case. Now there's some issues there with the cytokine element and whatnot, but I think right now the data is showing it is the older and the more infirm, firm people that are are succumbing to it, uh, you know, in terms of getting the serious cases or, or the, the high mortality rates. So does that framework of sort of, you know, don't come into contact with it, if you get it on you, make sure you take steps not to get it in you. And then if you get it in you, be as healthy as you can. Is that, is that a good way to look at it? 
Absolutely. Um, but there's a lot that goes into all three of those. Yep. Uh, and uh, in terms of family preparedness for this, uh, people really need to think in terms of hunkering down at home in isolation for a period of not weeks, but months. And there's a lot of logistics that go along with that. Uh, for anyone who lives in the country, if you don't have a lock and chain for your front gate, you should buy one uh, because you want to be able to make sure that no one's going to come onto your property. And if someone does, you don't want to be answering your door. In terms of the logistics for being prepared for that extended period of time, the shortages that we're seeing right now are basically the generally dumb public, the GDP, as I like to call them, uh, really waking up to the basics. Things like N95 masks and gloves and hand sanitizers and uh, maybe nebulizers. And I think the next thing that's going to disappear will probably be oxygen concentrators. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, in a, in a matter of weeks, if this does hit the United States and propagate the way I expect it to, we're going to see shortages of storage food first, and then pretty much all non-perishable foods off the store shelves. And then in the at, at the at the very late stages, people will even be cleaning out the perishable foods to take home to freeze. Got it. Yeah, and I I, I mean I think we've already begun seeing photos online in China and South Korea, and I think I've even seen some in Iran and Italy of the completely bare store shelves. Right. Right. And- um, there's already been a report here in the United States that that Costco has a they have a mail order arm, basically, that where you, you can do an Internet order for for items for either for pickup or delivery. They've completely sold out of their storage food packages. That's indicative. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, look, before we, we get into the details there, you've mentioned a few things uh, that I just for the for the people that haven't been perhaps listening and, and reading you know, every day for the past month on this. Um, I don't want to skip over for them. So uh, you mentioned masks. You mentioned N95 masks. Just just a quick description of, of, of N95 and, and what benefit sure. a mask. And N95 is designed to stop 95% of viruses um, from reaching your respiratory tract. They're not perfect. Uh, if, if someone has the money and the opportunity they they should go ahead and get a full mil spec you know M24 series or better uh, military NBC mask and a lot of spare filter cartridges, but the availability of those I'm sure is already pretty low and probably going to be completely depleted soon. Your best bet is to try to find some N95 masks if you haven't already stockpiled them, and um, as a absolute Worst case backup, if you can't find N95 masks, you can at least wear uh, a doubled a pair of surgical masks. Uh, but surgical masks really aren't designed to stop uh, viruses. So um, you'll they'll they'll stop some of them, uh, but not as well as an N95 mask. Yeah. N95 masks are designed to be disposable. Uh, they basically come in two flavors. One is a disposable uh, fiber cup that's held on uh, your nose and mouth area, usually held with uh, rubber bands uh, back behind your ears or over the top of your head, depending on the, des- on the design. 
the other type of N95 mask that's commonly available at hardware stores in the construction department is what's called a half face mask. And that's usually has a pair of filter uh, cartridges. Usually they're oblong in shape. Uh, and there's a number of different brands on the market. With the half face mask, the advantage is you get a better seal and you have more surface area for the mask filters. Uh, so there's less breathing resistance. One thing about all masks, especially military masks, is, is people who are not accustomed to them tend to get claustrophobic very quickly, and they find themselves lifting the mask with their hands, which is like a major no-no because you're, you're contaminating uh, your, your own face by doing so. Uh, so I like the half-face half masks. Uh, simply because they have less breathing resistance and you can handle some fairly heavy chores while wearing those. And those cartridges, the filter cartridges are replaceable with new filter discs, although you have to follow a procedure. You can, you can actually find that online at uh, YouTube, for example, for changing filter elements or filter cartridges without contaminating your mask in the process. It actually requires two sets of gloves. Okay. Uh, to that's, do it. that's really interesting because the question I was going to ask you is how long or how many times can you wear these masks? Um, before well, that, that's subject to debate. You know, most of the people who have a lot of experience with them are, are people who work in contracting and they say, Oh, I, you know, I've gotten, Five or six weeks worth of use out of an N95 mask. Well, that's really well well and good if you're dealing with fiberglass or sheetrock dust, not with viruses. Because once a mask is contaminated, you really don't have a good way of decontaminating that mask without destroying the filtering capacity of that mask. Because if you're wiping it down with alcohol, you're, you're basically going to clog up that mask and make it ineffective. You also run the risk of contaminating yourself in the process of attempting to, to, re, to decontaminate and reuse a mask. And N95 masks in the medical context are disposable for a reason. Unfortunately, we now live in the age of scarcity for N95 masks and people are gonna have to do their best to kind of fake it. And again, you'll need two pairs of gloves. Uh, you'll have to, to as you come back into your house in some sort of vestibule area, say your back porch, front porch or whatever, or maybe even uh, the trunk of a car, you're going to remove, you're going to be wearing gloves. You're going to remove your N95 mask, lay it uh, face down, I'm sorry, um, mouth side down uh, on the, on a table or on the, or on the floor of your trunk. And then uh, after you close your trunk, you're going to have to remove those gloves. And then if you're going to try to reuse that mask, you have to very gingerly, wearing a new set of gloves, attempt to handle the mask only by the straps and get it onto your face without contaminating yourself from with the exterior, touching your face, especially your eyes, your and your your lips or your these uh, soft mucous membranes of your nose, you don't want to have the exterior of the mask come into contact with anything where you're that'll uh, transmit virus. 
So it's really a tricky proposition. But again, we are now in the age of absolute scarcity for N95 masks. Uh, from a couple of news reports I've read, the Chinese are no longer exporting any masks. They were the source of 98% of the, of the N95 masks on the world market. They've diverted all of those for domestic use. So there will be no more coming into the country, and it'll be months before domestic manufacturers can ramp up to meet domestic demand. So essentially, what you've got is all you've got. Um, and in my blog, we use a lot of acronyms. One of them is YOYO. That stands for you're on your own. And unfortunately, what people have in terms of their current supplies of N95 masks, unless they're very lucky finding them on the open market, finding some small town hardware store that still has some tucked away, um, what you have is essentially your entire supply for at least the first wave of this outbreak. Okay. Two quick questions, and we'll get on to, uh, to non-mask related questions. Um, one is, so it, it sounds like it's, it, you can perhaps figure out how to change, uh, replace the little filters in the N95 mask. And for those that are, um, you know, yeah, handy and, and, and find the instructions, they can figure it out. But but probably for the vast majority of folks, um, you know, it's, they're either not that handy or it, they're they're not skilled enough that they're probably going to end up maybe infecting themselves in the process of trying to do so or destroying the filter of the mask. So my question is, is if, if you're one of those people and you just don't want to screw around with a filter, is it better to try to reuse an N95 mask or is it once you've worn it once in a place where you think that you've been exposed to people that might have it, is it best to just ditch uh, the mask? Oh boy, that's, that's a really tough question. You're really playing a game of Russian roulette if you do that. So if you have been out and about and you, and you think the chances of, of exposure to someone who's actually ill are low, then it might be worth the risk to, to reuse an N95 mask. Otherwise, they only belong one place, and that's in a burn barrel. Got it. Okay, so now you've either used up your N95 masks or you're, you're one of those, uh, you're on your own people where you just don't have any. Um, and then, then you're down to, you know, wrapping socks around your face or something. I mean, that, that's what I was going to say. I mean, obviously, the, the, the simple solution is just, just don't go out in the public places, but right. Or, or, Unfortunately, like, because of of people's work situations, family obligations, or or just the need to to go out and buy food for people who didn't stock up, uh, people are going to be uh, forced to face a very unenviable position, and that is uh, forced to be out in public without a proper PPE, which is uh, protective equipment. Uh, I, I don't envy that the people in that situation, but a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to be there. Yeah. And are there are there any hacks that are worth um, talking about? Um, I've, I've seen some things online of, of kind of. Yeah, I've seen some pretty apps. comical. I've seen some pretty comical photos coming out of China uh, with people using uh, a brassiere cut in half and the, one of the cups from a brassiere in the place of a of a mask. I've seen pictures of people with disposable diapers over their face. Uh, so. <laughs> and are these, are these all just placebos or are these better uh, than nothing? Well, probably better than nothing because at least the chance of a fairly large spittle drop coming from someone you're talking with reaching your mouth 
is minimized. The problem is there's also, in addition to the large spittle drops that you can see, there's a really a, a fine mist that people give, give off. And unless the lighting is right, you'd never see that. Right. Um, but um, at least it's better than nothing. Okay. All right. So, um, boy, if you can get yourself some N95 masks, get them. Um, if you get them, though, realize that they largely are single use unless you can figure out how to um, replace the filters and handle them in such a way that you're not contaminating yourself in the process. And then uh, if you have no masks uh, and must go outside, uh, jerry-rigging something is probably better than nothing, but don't expect it to uh, to uh, give you too much protection. Right. And uh, in all cases, do not forget that you all need at least wrap-around uh, goggles, wrap-around yeah. glasses, for example, yeah. because you don't want a droplet of spittle to touch uh, the your cornea. It, uh, that's one of the main avenues that viruses get into the human body. Right, right. So we're not talking about regular glasses or sunglasses here. We're talking about uh, sort of a self-contained wraparound, um, almost sort of like painters use when they're they're paint spraying, yeah, right? That would be best, but at least shooting glasses where you have side protection. Okay. Um, but standard glasses uh, don't provide that much protection at all because you, you could have a, a droplet of spittle uh, come in from the side. Okay. So you just want wraparound glasses, like wraparound sunglasses or wraparound shooting glasses. But uh, proper uh, goggles, uh, like you'd see in a home workshop, are, are 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 far far better. Right. Right. And, uh, and and those can be reused and be de uh, be decontaminated. Any glasses or goggles are are much much easier to decontaminate and reuse than a mask. Uh, but again, you're going to have to use two pair of, of gloves and you're going to have to have a, a pretty large supply of, of at least uh, alcohol on hand. Uh, preferably, you're going to be using a bleach solution. And the very best solution is uh, povidine solution. Uh, and that's a, a that's actually two or three chemicals involved. But the main one is iodine in that solution. And you'd be using a light solution of that to rinse uh, your goggles, and uh, then you, you'd let them air dry and uh, reuse them. Great. So where would one get povidone? Uh, well, you can actually still find it uh, on eBay and Amazon, and you probably will be able to find it at your local uh, drugstore. Just ask your druggist uh, for povidone solution, and uh, it, it's sold under several different brand names, but uh, it's it has a, a brownish tint to it, and um, it's made in very large quantity. So it the chances are you'll still be able to find that. And that same solution is what you're going to want to use um, with uh, you, you know, like for example you'd start with a, uh, either a rag or a standard baby wipe, dip that in povidine solution. And that's what you're going to be wiping down your your front doorknob with, for example, or telephone handsets or uh, uh, God forbid you have to go to the store after it hits. But uh, shopping cart handles. Got it. So um, in addition to maybe bringing, you know, hand sanitizer with you wherever you go, bring, uh, yeah, bring you a container of Pope down to wipe down public right. surfaces. Correct. Got it. Got it. OK, so 
in terms of sort of a shopping list, then um, we've got uh, masks if we can get them. Um, we've got the wraparound glasses. Um, we've got, uh, I mean, everybody should just go get some bottles of Clorox because it's super cheap and you can distill it and, and use it as your backup. But go get some Povidine if you can get that. Um, let's talk about gloves for a second because you mentioned them a number of times. One other piece of equipment that most people overlook, and that's booties. Uh, you can you can find those in drugstores still, or uh, they're widely available again on Amazon or eBay. But disposable booties like, like those that are used in surgical suites or uh, in uh, electronics clean rooms, uh, because you don't want to be tracking virus into your house. And so, just before you're going to remove your gloves as you come into the house, the first thing you're going to do is remove your plastic booties throw those into the burn barrel, then you're going to remove the gloves carefully, not to contaminate yourself, and then the gloves go in the burn barrel. Got and it. someone so inside the house is going to open the door for you. You're not going to touch the outer doorknob. Got it. And, you, and you're talking about these um, these booties as um, they're sort of like galoshes. You put them on before you go out. You they're, but they're, they're, very, they're lightweight plastic. They have a little elastic strap to go around your ankle. And they're designed for one-time use. Now, if if you run out of those or you can't find them, you can you can simply use uh, Ziploc bags and rubber bands. Huh. Okay. That's sort of the poor man's booty, huh? Yeah. Uh, quart size Ziploc uh, work pretty well unless you have really big feet or you're wearing boots. Okay. All right. So um, I want to talk about gloves. And I'm, then, sorry. Then... I'm sorry. Did I say quart size? I meant to say gallon size. Gallon size. Okay. Yeah, maybe for kids, they can wear a quart size. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk real quickly about, about gloves. And, and then, the, then the question I want to ask you is, um, at, at what point do you start adopting these behaviors? I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, you leave the house, uh, you're wiping everything down, uh, you've got your boots on and stuff like that. Or, or should, should everybody straight right to, well, to Adam, to be safe, at the first report, of, of a confirmed case in your county okay. is when you should start adopting that. All right. That's a great uh, red line to have. You know, it, it may be overcautious, but it's, 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 I guess it's better to be safe than sorry. Right. Well, and with this disease, um, you, you mentioned earlier on that people can be asymptomatic for such a long period of time. I mean, there are reports of up to like 27 days um, where the people are, contagious but they feel fine and they don't know it so of course they're they're going out about their daily business but they're shedding the virus everywhere they're going so um you know by the time that there was a confirmed outbreak in your county you can probably have confidence that there are dozens to hundreds if not thousands of people that may already be infected but not know it right and on that same day for any of your listeners who wear beards that's the day you shave it off you can keep your mustache but everything else has to go and you, have, you have to have a good seal on uh, flesh. Uh, you don't get a good seal uh, with any sort of protective mask if you're if you're up against beard hair. Got it. So just to be clear, we're back to masks now. So um, so any beard hair, even even just sort of a day or two stubble, can compromise the seal, right? Correct. Okay. So yeah, gentlemen, time to become clean shaven. Um, all right. Well, qu quickly, let's get back to gloves because you mentioned them a bunch. Um, are, we just talk in the, the you know relatively cheap box of, uh, you know, 50, 100 uh, surgical gloves that you can buy at a pharmacy. Yeah, just regular nitrile gloves. Um, and 
uh, actually a significant portion of the population is allergic to latex. So uh, if you can, it's better to get nitrile exam gloves rather than latex gloves, just in case someone might have a reaction. Okay. Um, uh, Just regular exam gloves are probably sufficient for most tasks when you're just going to be out and about uh, going to a bank or going to a store. Uh, Heavier gloves for heavier tasks, of course. Okay. Yeah. If you're... um, Wear like rubber cleaning gloves, uh, for example, if you have to do anything heavy duty out in public. Like the big Playtex dishwashing gloves you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and and um, so th- those. Well, let me put it this way: the, the the nitrile gloves or the surgical gloves we were talking about. I, I assume those are one and done gloves, right? You you come exactly. back home, you have those yes, burn definitely. Back. Yeah, there's just basically no good way to try to decontaminate gloves. They really are designed. Uh, maybe with your heavier gloves, you might you might try it uh, where you would basically soak uh, the gloves in povidine solution. And then uh, that was my question. Hang, hang them up on a clothesline, perhaps. But again, it's going to take another pair of gloves just to handle them to get them into the povidine solution. Right. <laughs> it's problematic. <laughs> so basically, get yourself a whole lot of surgical gloves while you can, right? Yes, they, absolutely. Uh, they're they're currently widely available, still inexpensive. The price on N95 masks has gone ballistic recently. Uh, one of my readers mentioned having seen uh, one disposable N95 mask, which three months ago was selling for anywhere from 80 cents to a dollar and 10 cents, selling at $40 on uh, eBay. One mask. Wow. I'm, I'm rich in masks now. <laughs> Sadly, I won't be putting them on eBay anytime soon. Um, <laughs> all right. So... Um, so, you know, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, protecting yourself if you have to go out into the wide world. Let's assume for a moment that you are home. Uh, you are self-isolating. It is for a prolonged period of time. Um, right. Hopefully you have enough food stores, but we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And, um, and hopefully all the public utility workers are going to show up. So water still comes magically out of your tap and your lights magically turn on when you flip the switch. Yeah. Uh, if those public employee, those public utility employees don't show up for work, uh, we could be in for a whole cascade of events. And that's one of the things that I've talked about for many, many years in Survival Blog is that the, the three U.S. national power grids really are the linchpin of modern society. And if the grids go down, all bets are off because soon after the grids go down, uh, within 72 hours for most people, that means their water is going to stop flowing as well because uh, because of current EPA standards, there's a pump in every uh, civic water supply because they usually are, are running water through giant filters to meet the nephilometer, turbi- the turbidity standards that are set by the EPA for water clarity. Uh, there's no longer gravity-fed systems uh, in much, in probably 98% of American cities. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just wind you up and set you loose here, Jim. Um, in terms of uh, okay, so somebody is settling down now for an indeterminately long self-quarantine. Okay. And 
to be prepared um, for, you know, not only feeding their family, but uh, feeding and caring for their family if these public services go down. So um, I, I'm sure I, I know there's going to be a lot of information, but what, what, what are the top things that you think people, you know, just need to go get if they don't have right now? Well, I guess the absolute top would be a water filter because the the the, the supply of those is incredibly thin. Uh, right now, most water filters are marketed to backpackers and a few preppers. The number of filters out there, you know, we have a nation of 350 million people. There's probably only one or two million at most water filters good quality water filters in the supply chain right now. That's not a lot to go around. So that should be at the very top of people's list would be a, a top quality uh, filter that's uh, that's fine enough to to treat water from open sources. So that they're not they won't stop viruses, but they will stop bacteria. And in a public health crisis, the main risk if if we're grid down will actually be bacterial infections, not viral infections. So even if even ironically in the midst of a of a viral pandemic, a lot of people are going to be dying from bacterial infections. So it's really important that people have a really top quality filter that they can use to treat water from open sources. And here I'm talking about uh, downspout water uh, from off of people's roofs or pond water, creeks water, water from streams or whatever. Uh, the the brands that I like are like the Sawyer mini filter, for example, any of the filters made by Katahdin. Uh, it looks like it's spelled Katadyne, but it's spoken Katahdin. It's K-A-T-A-D-Y-N. And then for a large filter for your kitchen, I like the big Berkey filters. Uh, that's a stainless steel filter uh, made in England uh, by Dalton. In fact, uh, it's the same Dalton company that makes China because the filters inside are white ceramic. So water filtration should be right at the top of your list. Then you need to think in terms of how you're going to cook if there's no power or if the uh, eventually even the uh, natural gas piped natural gas, if you're on a uh, utility, will stop working. So how you're going to cook, uh, how you're going to source water. Uh, you need to think in terms of not just being able to filter water, but how you're going to transport that water. Uh, if you have to go to a nearby stream or pond, water weighs eight pounds a gallon. So how are you going to get that home? You need to think in terms of five gallon water cans to, to carry that water and perhaps something like a two wheeled garden cart so you can carry several cans at once because it's absolutely exhausting trying to carry a five gallon water can any distance whatsoever. So uh, water filtration, food storage, cooking, then you need to think in terms of lighting, home security, first aid, uh, and then acute care for anyone who's ill or injured. And if it's someone ill with a virus, then you need to have a completely separate structure. You're gonna have someone out in a guest cabin or a barn for perhaps, uh, where you can isolate someone who does come down with this to, so that everyone in the family doesn't. You need to think in terms of security for your family, um, self-defense, lighting, night vision equipment, 
the list goes on and on. If it's if um, your listeners are folks who read uh, websites or, or blogs like mine, they're probably ahead of the power curve. Some of your listeners may be behind the power curve, and their chances of finding something like night vision equipment while they still have a decent budget um, are are pretty pretty slim. Uh, but there's a a lot of things that you need to think through. Basically, sit down, make yourself what I call a list of lists. Make a, a food storage list, a water list, a first aid list, a communications list, a lighting list, a, a bedding list, a clothing list, a gardening list, and prioritize those lists and just think through logically all the eventualities of having to live with your family in full isolation for a period of months. Again, there are going to be some pretty lengthy lists. And for anyone who's behind the power curve, you're going to have to very carefully prioritize those lists. Yeah. Uh, if you go to my website, survivalblog.com, up at the top under resources, if you click on list of lists, I actually have uh, a large list of lists with some quite a few details in an Excel spreadsheet, and that's available for free download. Oh, great. I, I was going to mention something similar at, at Peak Prosperity um, very quickly uh, for new users. Uh, peakprosperity.com slash WSID. That stands for What Should I Do? Um, we have a, a What Should I Do guide there. Step zero is all about emergency preparation, which touches upon a lot of what uh, Jim mentions here uh, with specific product recommendations. But Jim, it sounds like you've already got some existing lists on your site, too. Um, and again, that's right off the homepage there. Yes, it is. Just go look under the resources tab at the top of uh, the, the main page at survivalblog.com. Uh, another thing under my resources page is I wrote uh, about, oh gosh, eight or nine years ago, a, a standalone uh, page titled How to Protect Your Family from an Influenza Pandemic. And that's well, still that available. Here. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's available, again, free of charge. And you can get to it right from the resources tab at survivalblog.com. Fantastic. We'll, we'll also link to the, the general lists in that specific resource um, from the write-up of this podcast, Jim, so people can get there directly. Thanks, Adam. Oh, no worries. Thank you for putting that together. Um, hey, a question for you on um, – so I, we are going to have a mix of people listening to this podcast, some of who are in front of the power curve, some of whom are behind. Um, and uh, – you know, for the people that are not already well stocked up on a lot of the things that you've mentioned, um, a huge part of, of getting through a multi-month uh, you know, crisis like this is going to be your community, um, you know, relying on other people to help provide some of the things that you can't provide on your own uh, and you being in service to them and vice versa. Uh, and of course, a pandemic's dicey because you've got to be careful about person-to-person -person contact. But can you talk a bit about how to leverage social relationships during a time like this? Well, I've always put a premium at Survival Blog on barter and charity. And I come to it all from a Christian perspective. And my philosophy is to give until it hurts and to be as charitable as possible. And not everyone's going to be in, in the situation where they'll have anything extra to share. But for those who do, I would ask them to, you know, pray about it, examine their own conscience and 
think through what items you have that you can spare to help your your neighbors and friends and co-workers and also think about how you're going to get that into people's hands without compromising yourself you know in the context of a viral outbreak how are you going to get it to them without uh, also bringing home a virus and even in just uh, a social collapse say an economic collapse situation how you would get charity into other people's hands without compromising your physical security because you don't want to be known as the rich guy with extra stuff. That's the guy who gets his house knocked off. So I often write in my blog about the importance of making contact through local charitable organizations or churches where you would very quietly approach church elders, let them know that you have some extra things available and ask that your name would never be mentioned. And then that 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 those charitable items would be distributed through that third party. OK, that, that sounds real prudent, being the anonymous donor to a service organization that can then get the materials to the folks who need them most. I'm going to ask a, a, a even more pointed question, which is, um, you know, hopefully most people listening right now, there has not been a, a um, outbreak reported in their county yet. Um, so what questions uh, or, or, or topics would you recommend they discuss right now with their neighbors, whether you live in a, an apartment building? So you're talking to people who live on, on the floors around you or whether you live in a neighborhood and you're talking to the houses down the street. What kind of things should people prearrange now before a quarantine comes into play? Well, for anyone who lives in a suburban environment, where some of your neighbors garden and some don't. I think it would be apropos to approach your neighbors and let them know what sort of produce that you have available to trade. And I think bartering will become very important because people literally, even if there's still food on the shelves, are not going to want to go to stores. But they might feel more comfortable uh, bartering across their back fence. So... It's appropriate to talk with your neighbors, ask them if they've stocked up. If they haven't, urge them in no uncertain terms. Tell them, I'm stocking up. I expect you to stock up. If you don't stock up, don't come looking to me for charity because I won't have that much extra. Please, please stock up to the best of your ability. I, I don't recommend that people go out and max out their credit cards, but while supplies are available, this is the appropriate time to stock up on beans, bullets, and Band-Aids. And to the best of your ability, you should stock up. And the extra that you have on, on, uh, on hand will be appropriate for both barter and charity. So do talk to your neighbors. Encourage them to stock up as best they can. And uh, if possible... Uh, in just the last the last few days or weeks available before this thing uh, goes like wildfire across the United States, as I'm expecting, people should think in terms of getting together for group purchases where saying to your neighbor, say you have an elderly neighbor, I'm going to be going to Costco. Can I help you stock up? Uh, you want me to pick up a few things for you? Let me know what you want. You can reimburse me. That sort of thing. So buying in quantity always makes sense. 
And uh, it's just a matter of having the, the appropriate containers to divide things uh, for barter or charity. And extra containers are one of the things that you want to have on hand. Um, say that you have a, it, if you're fortunate enough to have a 500-gallon underground uh, fuel tank, how are you going to get fuel into the hands of people for barter without letting them know that you have a 500-gallon tank? You're going to have to have a whole bunch of empty one- or two-gallon cans. So you got to think all those things through. Uh, it, getting back to discussions with neighbors, you need to talk about um, – Talk talk through with your neighbors. Find out who might have a nebulizer. Find out who might have a oxygen extra oxygen concentrator, for example. Yeah. And, a, lot of, a lot of families. Sorry to interrupt you here, Jim, but can you can you just very quickly describe what each one of those things is? I'm not sure everyone sure. listening knows what sure. those two things a are. Sure, nebulizer is basically a steamer that you that is designed. You you basically put your your face directly above or in, often they're set up with a, 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 a face type mask where steam is going to be um, brought up from this machine as it as it warms up and you get to breathe it in either through your mouth or your nose. And um, you can actually, with a nebulizer, uh, infuse that with something like colloidal silver. So they're they're very practical. Which is uh, lots of antibacterial difficulty uh, breathing. A, a nebulizer can literally be a lifesaver, but it's only a $20 item. Uh, the next step up, of course, is an oxygen concentrator for anyone with a chronic breathing condition, whether it's um, emphysema, COPD, uh, which is a, a chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder. Um, anybody with a chronic problem like that will probably either be on bottled oxygen or um, or these days more likely an oxygen concentrator which is they make them two different styles uh an ac unit that plugs into a wall outlet and they're really a, a marvel of modern technology it's a machine that sits there with a little compressor it's and very quietly takes ambient uh regular air from your room and concentrates oxygen, puts it into a tube, and that's run to a to a cannula or a face mask to go on someone's mouth. And it's just like medical oxygen they would have at a hospital. All right. And, and uh, one and of the reasons why and then they also make uh, portable oxygen concentrators, which are run off of batteries, but of course the batteries have to be recharged. What I recommend people find is a um, a floor model uh, oxygen concentrator, such as the ones, um, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of some name brands here. Um, there's uh, like the Everflow, for example, is, is one, of the, one of the main ones on the market. You can find those used currently on Craigslist for around $175 to $300. If you have just one of those in your extended family and someone in your family comes down with uh, a, a life threatening illness that's um, causing them that causes pneumonia, it can literally be the difference between life and death. OK, great. And, and that's what I wanted to underscore here. The reason why that's so particularly relevant to this 
coronavirus outbreak is that it, it the serious complications generally get right, pneumonia. Let's face it, there there's only 900,000 hospital beds in the United States. Of those, uh, I would say, um, what, maybe 75% of them are for acute patients. That's for a population of 350 million people. What happens when we go from past 900,000 to 2 million, 3 million people infected and, and with symptoms severe enough to, to send them to the hospital? There simply will not be enough hospital beds available. So home health care is going to be folks' only option. And unless they have something like a nebulizer or uh, preferably if they can afford it and find it, an oxygen concentrator, you're basically just going to watch your relatives' lungs fill up and and watch them die. And just to put some numbers behind that, um, you know, we're we're dealing with the official numbers. Um, most of them reported by China, so you know, we really don't know how much we can trust the numbers right now. We know we're working with imperfect data, but given the numbers we have, it looks like the complication rate is around 15 percent. Okay. So let's say, uh, you know, uh, 100 million people in America get infected. That's 15 million uh, serious complications. And you said, you know, that there's only 900,000 hospital beds. That's, uh, right. you know, and, something and like even, And even times. worse than that, for the people who have severe complications, they're going to need more than just medical oxygen. They're actually going to need a hospital respirator. They're either going to need to be intubated or they're going to be. Uh, they're going to need to be on what used to be called an iron lung, which is a hospital respirator. Uh, there are how many in the country? Not very many. There's very few of those out there. Most hospitals only have one or two of them. And if we have a public health crisis with a 15% complication rate, and a good number of those pa patients require more than medical oxygen, we're going to see some pretty high morbidity. Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, we're going to begin to enter lightning round here only because I'm looking at the time and realizing I could go on for another two hours with you. And I don't think we would have gotten halfway through the questions I'd like to ask. Um, go ahead. But, uh, and I want to acknowledge I interrupted you uh, for those descriptions when you were talking about, um, you know, talking with the people in your community about who's got what resources so that you can come up with what I believe you were going to recommend a sort of a communal resource pool that we know, you know, what what assets, what skills everybody has so we can leverage that if we need to. Um, right. Yeah, you want to find out who has a medical background, uh, who would have a a guest cottage, for example, where people could be isolated who are ill. That could become a sick room. Yeah. Right. So they'd be converted into a sick room. Uh, who has medical oxygen? Who would have oxygen concentrators? Who would have nebulizers? Uh, just think through the logical chain of events. And it's really a cascade, and unfortunately, it's a real steep downhill slope. But think through all those eventualities in terms of how you structure your conversation with your neighbors. You Got want it. to find out what key resources are out there. And who's. And you also have to be very diplomatic about this and, and, and judge people. You have to be very discerning about people and figure out who's going to be willing to part with things and um, who's willing to barter, who's willing to be charitable and who you really need to just keep your distance from. Got it. OK, so um, talking about medical really quickly uh, on the 
uh, premium side of peakprosperity.com, uh, Chris and I wrote a piece uh, uh, how we're personally preparing for the coronavirus. And in there, we have instructions on creating a sick room, uh, on um, uh, you know, over-the-counter medications that you can get still in the pharmacy that you should have on hand. And those were not put together by Chris and I, but put together by a member of the Peak Prosperity community who is an ER doc. Um, and so, you know, I think our best thinking is in that piece. Uh, do you have any resources on Survival Blog you want to point people to in terms of self-care? You know, if you have well, somebody in your who gets actually the, the archives of Survival Blog date all the way back to 2005. Uh, luckily, there's a search box, and I would recommend that people just bring up topics in that search box. There are hundreds and hundreds of articles that relate to um, medical topics. Uh, and it really is outside of the scope of our conversation here to try to list them all. It, it's, exactly. it's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a straight, very deep, very rich set of archives. So please, okay. folks, take full advantage of it. It's all available free of charge. You can print out whatever you want. You can save whatever you want uh, as electronic files. Yes, I do sell a an archive memory stick uh, with a USB stick with all the blog archives, but you don't need to do that. You can actually uh, copy individual articles to your heart's content. Right, at least as long as the electrical utilities are up and running. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so you don't want to have the memory stick and an adapter for your, your iPad or your, or your smartphone. All right, so a uh, couple practical questions that we get from folks a lot. Uh, at this point, I'm going to assume international air travel, you would say don't do it. Would, would, you, would you be uh, yeah. direct about it? Okay. Absolutely. Domestic travel. Yeah, avoid, 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 avoid. Um, okay. And also, you, we didn't even, even get a chance to talk about the, the economic issues here and what stocks you might want to be shorting right now. But I, I'm basically uh, short on the airlines and long on the cocooning stocks, as I, use, I like to call them. Mm -hmm. Basically, any um, web-based business where the delivery model is electronic, things like Netflix, Amazon Prime, they're gonna do wonderfully because as this uh, pandemic develops, the natural tendency of people is gonna be to cocoon at home. And they're gonna wanna have, they'll wanna have things delivered. Uh, and then of course, sit and watch those, pa those packages with anxious eyes. Uh, after spraying them down with Lysol or whatever. Well, but, let's, um, let's go there for a moment. Um, so sure. and, and I, I, will, I will not challenge, but, but toss a concern into some of your cocooning companies there. So Amazon, for example, uh, you know, we've had a lot of the Chinese supply chains um, get disrupted and uh, you know, Amazon has a lot of Chinese supply. So it's coming out of China, but in terms of what companies are going to go under versus which are going to survive? I think Amazon's going to survive. They will. They uh, will. I would not want to. I would not want to be running a movie theater, a shopping mall. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't want to be a cruise ship operator. Right now, uh, uh, <laughs> those are going to absolutely crater. Completely agree. And, and and I didn't even. I wasn't trying to poke holes in your Amazon theory. Uh, my my question was going to be more. Um, so those packages arrive. Right. Or, or let's say while you're you're under quarantine, the town is still allowing grocery stores to do home delivery. Um, uh, when you get the package on your doorstep, if you're concerned about surface contamination, what do you do? You need it in 
full sunlight would be ideal. So ask the delivery person, leave it on the sunny part of the porch, and then you're going to walk out. You're going to, uh, while you're wearing a mask and gloves and booties, you're going to spray that down with something, a Lysol or something stronger, preferably a povidine solution. Then with your booty, you're going to gently kick that package and roll it over. And then you're, you're going to make sure that all six sides of that package get sprayed down. Uh, then uh, wearing gloves after a, a delay to, to let that uh, solution take effect. And let's be specific. How long of a delay? Minutes? I, I, I would give it a half hour just to be safe. Half hour. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, unless time is absolutely of the essence to get into a package, give it a half hour. Then you're going to be opening that, wearing your protective gear. Um, you're going to open that package, and then you're going to have to spray down the contents of that package unless it's a packaged product that you have a very high confidence level was packaged before this uh, virus ever hit the United States. So then you're going to spray down the interior, that the, um, the components within that package, uh, and hopefully there'll be items that won't be destroyed by your spray uh, that you're using. <clears throat> and then, and only then, would you feel safe using them? <laughs> okay. So let me ask this question then. That, I think that works fine if you're ordering, um, you know, a, a package from Amazon. Uh, would you, given that you need to treat it like that, would you order a pizza? Would you order a restaurant takeout? No, I would not order anything, any any prepared foods that are not uh, packaged. Prepared. Like no. if it's canned or retort packaged, no problem. If it's soft packaged, you probably want to spray down the, of course, at least spray down the exterior of that package. But even then, you'd have to worry about the integrity of that package, whether there was a hole in it that might allow contamination. So your best bet would be retort packaged foods or canned foods. Got it. Okay. And at, at, at the point where you're, where you're self-isolating, let's say it's not a mandatory quarantine, but you're self-isolating right. at that point, uh, if you geared up and, and would you even go to the grocery store and get something like fruit or would you only be buying <laughs> I, packaged food at that I'd, point? I'd rather be, I'd rather hunker down at home and grow sprouts than risk going to get fresh fruits or vegetables. Okay. So a sprouting kit might be a great thing for people to order right now, for example. That way you're going to have fresh greens. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, so a sprouting kit. Um, one thing I went and got today was a bunch of frozen uh, frozen fruit, frozen berries, just in case you know my access to them gets cut off for a long period of time. I, I still have backup access. Um, all right, uh, Jim, we, we are over the one hour mark. Um, like I said, I, I could literally keep going forever on this. Um, what haven't I asked you that you think um, is important for people to know before we sign off here? Well, I'd like to leave your listeners with one important thing is um, proceed with prayer. I think it's important that even if you're a person who's a, a backslidden faithful person, it's time to get down on your knees, pray, ask for God's guidance, providence, and protection, because at this point, we're going to need it. I think that's well said. You know, we, we talk a lot about um, the importance of community and the importance of emotional resilience, um, and I, I think you're tapping into that, uh, you know, on the spiritual side there. Um, 
you know, uh, all throughout human human history and human civilization, you know, humans have gone through trying times, and uh, uh, you know, what carry us through those times oftentimes is is belief or faith that tomorrow, you know, is going to be better and that we're going to make it through it, and and that we're all in it together. Um, I know you mentioned personal protection. Uh, sort of in the vein of home security, we didn't get a chance to talk uh, talk about that, uh, at least in today's discussion. Um, but uh, if I can interpret the spirit of what you just said, um, you know, remember that we're all in this together. Remember in the spirit of brotherhood, you know, we're going to we're going to get through this much better than if we turn on one another. So um, let's be good, stewards, uh, good, good caretakers of, of ourselves, but each other as well. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Adam. And um, I pray the 91st Psalm for you and all your listeners. Well, thank you, Jim. Appreciate that very much. Again, I appreciate uh, you sharing all your expertise with us coming on at such short notice upon our request. And uh, I'm sure we're going to get lots of questions to this uh, this podcast, which we will share with you. And please feel free to give it uh, access to the uh, Survival Blog folks as well. But um, uh, I'm going to guess that we may have a lot of requests to have you back on. So at some point, if you're free, we'd love to do that. I'd certainly uh, enjoy doing so. Thank you. Fantastic, Jim. All right. Well, stay safe, my friend. You too. Bye-bye.